It's good to be here this morning to be worshiping with you. I uh, am going to be sharing on the subject of marriage this morning. I've titled the message, A Marriage on the Rock. Not on the rocks, but on the rock, okay? So let's make sure we understand that first and foremost. Um, I'd like to look at Scripture and I'll primarily be looking at Ephesians 5. That's the classic marriage scripture. And you may wonder, well, Gerald, this isn't, you know, there's no weddings here this morning, but this has been a subject that's been on my mind. Um, I think it's so important and so critical for us all uh, to make sure that we're Christ-focused, Christ-centered in our marriages. And looking at marriage, I'm not going to be addressing singles this morning, any other group, I think there's the words here for all of us, no matter where we're at. So I'm going to let you make those applications. Um, first of all, I like to look at having vision. And this is out of Matthew 7. Um, Matthew 7, 24. And why don't we open our Bibles to that and stand up to read these words Matthew 7, 24 through 27. So Jesus speaking here, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who bears, who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Just stay standing a bit and we'll have a word of prayer. Dear Father, this morning as we look into your word, I just pray that you would um, encourage us. I pray that you would build us up in our relationship with you and with each other. I, Father, I just pray that uh, you would uh, help us to, to uh, really focus on, on building on the rock. And uh, we give you... The glory and we look to you, dear Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I'd like this to be a call, this first part to be a call here to our people, our youth. Um, looking ahead and uh, having vision for, for their future, for their marriage. I'd like for it to be a call for us as, as married people to to review our marriages and see what we can do better. So here we have two houses, two foundation types, two very different outcomes. The wise man, he started building his house and he built it on a rock. Um, I imagine that this wise man inherited the land in that setting. Um, land is not easy, easily exchanged like it is now probably. Land was given, allocated to the different tribes and then probably moved out and you saw a father and he had some sons and it was, this land kept on being distributed. 
and passed on and maybe it started out with a large parcel now the family's living on this large parcel but there's different houses on this same piece of land um, and so this this I'm just imagine imagining here that this son was given a piece of land to build his house on to bring his bride to and um, he's building his future here he's a wise man he knew the importance of building a good house of solid beginnings so he dug into the soil till he got into good rock and maybe a 12 inches maybe two feet I don't know but he dug down to where he knew that he'd have a, a solid foundation for his house He knew that if he didn't get that solid foundation, that something, the th bad thing, bad results would be out there for him ahead of time. There'd be a sagging foundation, sagging floors, sagging roofs, walls. This would create cracks in the veneers, in the roofing that would let uh, water, moisture in, which would further deteriorate his house. He knew that he didn't want those damages out ahead. And so he built he dug deep to find that rock, those rocks. And he also knew there might be storms. You know, the last place you want to be in a storm is in a structure that won't stand against the storm. That won't withstand it. And he didn't want wind and water to crash into his house or crash it down. He had his eye on the future. He knew things would come to test his house, to test that structure. And he determined to the best of his ability to be prepared. And to make good effort, to do due diligence uh, for the security of his new bride and his future family. And so we have the contrast here. We have a foolish man. He's building a house. Seems like he had his eye on the present. Uh, we don't know what really was going through his mind. But it seems like concern for future weather and streams didn't really seem to affect his building plan. Uh, he was probably building on inheritance land as well. Building his future. Maybe, and there's, may, there's probably a lot of possible reasons why the foolish man didn't place more thought into his foundation. Maybe he was a fisherman. Uh, and the streams didn't really concern him. You know, he could always jump in a boat if the stream came up and got in the water. Not very sound logic, but nevertheless convenient when you want to be out fishing instead of building. Um, you would have to assume that this foolish man, uh, you know, making this large of an investment that, that he would have at least had knowledge of, of the value of a foundation spending this much money, this much effort. Uh, enough knowledge to at least have merited him making further study. But is it possible, and here's the thought, that he maybe did think ahead. Maybe he was thinking, you know, if he doesn't put all this money into his foundation, if he doesn't put all this effort into his foundation, he could spend more on facade and more on furniture. Maybe the girl of his dreams valued dreamy things more than a solid foundation. And uh, he made a move to woo her uh, to himself by putting his money and effort where she'd be most impressed. Uh, I see that sometimes in 
houses out there where there's the, this is physical houses where there's, seems like little structure and lots of glitz. Um, so that's just a thought, but I think it's a one worth considering. Finally, intentionally or unintentionally, the foolish man moved ahead on his building project without addressing the most important part of his house's structure, and that's the foundation. He got his house built just like the wise men. His house may have had a few more square feet. It may have had the indoor kitchen. Both were moved in. Both experienced the same fierce and stormy weather. The next morning, things were very different for both, however. Imagine with me the wise man and his wife getting up at the crack of dawn to assess their property and livestock after this terrible storm. The wind had been blowing all night, maybe for days, for a couple of days. The stream had risen up further than they'd ever expected and was washing up against their house. And they're assessing things. And they're saying, whew, that was a terrible storm. It was bad. The branches are across the house. They broke through some of the roof tiles. Water's dripped down into the kitchen floor. Or maybe they didn't have a kitchen. Some of those just only had outdoor kitchens. There's maybe the stream had come up and eroded the southeast corner of the wall where that, you know, where the stones were laid up. And they need some more patching. But otherwise, things were pretty well. You know, it would take a day or two to get, to get things back to normal, to fix things back up. But in the long view, you know, they could be thankful. No one was hurt. Uh, a few days of fixing things, patching things up, putting things back in order is okay. You know, that family sitting down at breakfast, they're eating their morning porridge and laying out plans for the day. And they're disrupted by the great Pyrenees out there taking care of the sheep. He's barking, and the wise father, he gets up from the table to see what all the commotion is about. What Caesar is up to, you know, out there, the great Pyrenees. And here comes foolish man's son at a run. His clothes are torn, his hair is unkempt, and he's crying. And he has this tragic tale. Our house fell with a great crash in last night's storm. And you can fill in the details. What happens when houses fall with great crashes and people are inside? What are the losses in real estate, more importantly, in, the, in life and limb? It's not a pretty picture. You know, prior to marriage or making any life, large life decision, or even maybe inconsequential decisions, it does us well to dig deep in the Word and build on it. To do otherwise is, is not wise. And I trust that's what we're doing. And it's a call of encouragement this morning. Now the second part is moving into an encouragement to be faithful and encouraged in our marriage commitments. Marriage foundations take ongoing work. They take ongoing maintenance. And I'd like to look at and read Ephesians 5, verse 25. 
Let's start at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, is also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let thy wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Such an intertwining here of Christ and the church and husbands and wives that you almost can't pick it apart. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In the King James reverences. I'd like to look at this and maybe look at it a bit backwards from the scripture up. So we look at submission here. So let's do a reverse order a bit, like, we, like I said. Husbands, in verse 22, husbands, leaders of the family, leaders in the church, are to submit yourselves in every way to Christ and to his body. In 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, Yea, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to each other. So husbands, leaders of family and of church, submit yourselves every way to Christ. And then it says, move across, submit yourselves to each other. Be clothed with humility. Then in the same way the husbands and fathers have demonstrated their submission to Christ and to the church, his body, wives then are supposed to submit themselves to their husband. You know, what a beautiful example. Husbands, submit yourselves to the Lord and to the brotherhood in the same way that you would expect and appreciate your wife to give you respect and submission. And what would that look like? I'm asking you husbands, if your wives responded to you the same way you respond to Christ and to the brotherhood, to his body, what would that look like? What would that look like? It's a fair question. And it sobers me when I think of that. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify it, sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he could present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Sacrificial love is what I see here. 
And Easter is a time when we hear a lot about sacrificial, Christ's sacrificial love for us. And my first thought is this, that there's no way that a man with so many faults, failures, and selfish tendencies like me can possibly love his wife the way that Christ loved the church or loves the church. And Christ continues to love us. You know, we may as men and as husbands not be asked to go on trial for our wives. We might not be asked to participate in a torturous death on a cross, but we're asked to give unselfishly to them. That's the kind of love that Christ is, is calling us men to, a sacrificial love, a life of giving. First of all, we're asked to, I believe, build foundations for our marriages. And this goes back, I'm going to say pre-marriage. This starts in the, the husband and, 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 uh, and leader, the man leader, uh, of building a foundation on the rock, digging deep. This means him giving himself, dedicating himself unselfishly to Christian growth and to service, Christian service, first and foremost. I believe by doing this, he, he sets a firm foundation for his life. He sets a firm foundation for the life of his future wife and of his family of his home. Make sure it's making sure it's it's firmly secured on the rock. It's there. It's in place. And that's the kind of sacrificial love that that God is calling us men to is is doing that digging deep. Wise builder husbands will focus on structural integrity at the expense of fluff. They'll not budget for floor coverings at the expense of good, solid foundation. And I'm saying this in, you know, a comparative form, figurative form. They'll focus on the scriptural integrity of their future and security first and foremost. It's vision. Looking ahead. Understanding that, you know, they can put up wood, they can put up a structure, they can put a roof on, but if those foundations aren't in place, um, they'll be looking at failure in some way or other down the road. They'll not take unnecessary chances with high winds and rising streams. And I believe this is the kind of love, sacrificial love, that God is calling us as men and as husbands, fathers too. Now let's look at nourishment a little bit. No man has ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So we're members of Christ, his body, his flesh, his bones. For this cause, now we're moving back again to the marriage. Shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. 
What does nourishing and cherish, cherishing our wife look like? This is maybe a bit more practical, but physically she's your treasure. So you cherish something that is your treasure. If you have a treasure, you cherish it. You take care of it. She's the one person in your life that has taken precedence, value over all others. She's your companion. The mother of your children will be the mother of your children. The one you've chosen to share your life with in every way. Considering all the above, wouldn't it make good sense to cherish her and to nourish her? To provide good things for her, real things, to look after and make her life manageable and such that she'll realize the fulfillment she needs. Most likely, first and foremost, she's a nurturer. She'll find her fulfillment in nurturing and cherishing her husband or children and others in her life. And husbands, I believe it's up to us to be our wives, nurturer and cherisher. And how does this work out practically? I can't answer that question for you and I'm not going to try. It would get me in way too deep, okay? You know those, the answer to those questions. Uh, she's your lifelong study, your wife is or will be. Um, to nourish and cherish has quite intimate implications. It, a lot, it involves a lot more than cohabitation or even having a partnership. It involves a real intertwining and weaving your lives together in such a way that you learn to not just tolerate, but to enjoy even her classical music. Well, that one I put in for a little something extra. You know, my wife and I, we grew up enjoying very different kinds of music. I enjoyed more music there, where you heard the words. You know, you could hear the words and there was um, a compliment. Now, actually, in the church that I grew up in, we weren't, we didn't have musical instruments. Um, but I really do enjoy musical instruments and uh, appreciate them. But, you know, she had this other kind of dreamy music she listened to that, that just kind of got on my nerves. And... Uh, Today, I really appreciate her classical music. Really enjoy it. And she actually enjoys my music, believe it or not. That's pretty amazing. At least most of it. Um, so just a very practical example there. A little peek into our lives. Okay. I believe that a godly marriage will bring to fruition or bring to pass the best traits of both the husband and the wife in such a way that a beautiful new fruit uh, develops, emerges. The strengths and beauty of the couple become harmonized and their weaknesses and ugliness diminishes. Husbands, take time to ponder what the qualities you really love about your wife and nurture and cherish those and grow those. In doing so, you'll grow yourself. You appreciate that she is kind and gentle. Be kind and gentle to her. And you can take that list on down, but learn to identify those things that you appreciate about your spouse and grow those. And in turn, it'll do something for you. 
2 Corinthians 4.16, and this is not quite in the marriage context, but it applies. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Time passes, and it has a way of diminishing our outward beauty. Um, that youthful beauty fades a bit. But it's replaced by something, if it's a godly marriage, it's replaced by something that's even more beautiful. It's an exceeding beauty of the inner spirit that's being renewed, it's being grown. Uh, It's an inward relationship. A relationship of godly love and virtue that is far surpassing in beauty. A beauty so vibrant and, and so alive that it causes the doctrine of Christ to be adorned and it causes the, the mouths to be stopped of, of the world's um, carnality and sensuality. Um, it causes them to stop and take note. They see a beautiful couple, a beautiful family that's adorning the gospel of Christ and they can't help but stand back and notice. This is something very beautiful. It doesn't mean that that couple, that family has the newest vehicle, the nicest house, the, ni- the most recent clothes, the most stylish of everything or whatever, or the right name. If a family is, is adorning the gospel of Christ through their inner beauty, they'll be noticed. And uh, I've seen it happen. I've witnessed it. Then looking at this spiritually, how can we, how can we um, nourish and cherish our wives spiritually? Imagine with me, husbands, what a spiritual fortress our wives would find us to be if we truly obeyed the apostles' teaching here of submitting ourselves wholly to Christ and wholly to our brotherhood. You know, too many times we, as men, we're the warriors, we're the gatherers, We bring things in. Uh, And that's good. It's great. We we as men need to do the heavy lifting out and and be the warriors, gatherers, the the you know, keeping the keeping things uh, the groceries money coming in and so forth. Um, but too many times we're content and even expect our wives to do the heavy lifting when it comes to the spiritual side. We turn out to be wimps spiritually. Um, maybe we, our thoughts go along this line. They have the time. You know, they can focus on this prayer stuff while they're doing their clothes and rocking the baby to sleep and doing the dishes and, and on their way home from the school run. And, you know, we've got, as men, to provide for our family. We've got to get up early and go out and take care of things and take care of, be at our jobs. You know, I believe that we as brothers need to repent of that, of that attitude if we have it. And it's fairly prevalent sometimes. I've felt it in my own life, and I've had to deal with it, still deal with it. Our first calling in leadership is spiritual. That's our first primary, first and primary calling. Jesus' call to Peter to feed his lambs is our call as well as husbands and fathers. You know, those three calls, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? 
And he said to him, Yea, Lord. And Jesus said, Feed my lambs. And then was, Feed my sheep. And again, he saith unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? Peter was grieved. Because that he said to him the third time, time, Lovest thou me? And Jesus saith to him, Feed my sheep. And if our wives, our children, are not our sheep, I don't know what is. Uh, we have a responsibility. I think Jesus calls us in the same way as men to feed his sheep, his lambs. It's not an easy call. It's a call that takes much discernment. And, you know, how do we go about meeting all the challenges, keeping the food on the table, and yet, and keeping, you know, the roof of our family's heads, taking care of all the other things, the dental, dentist bills and to, you know, the doctor bills to the, um, you know, whatever else it is, and yet, and the demands that are come from our job places and so forth, and yet, you know, cherish our wife and our family spiritually. And I'll just say this, young men, the task isn't for the faint of heart. It's a real, um, true calling. And it, it takes stamina. It takes deep digging into the Word and a will to really be faithful. And I urge you to dedicate your your lives to digging into the Word and knowing Christ from a young age. In a sense, you can build a reserve, I believe, uh, in your youth. When you have more time, that will be helpful in those times when the world becomes so full of necessary things that you're not sure quite which way to turn. I believe there's, it's possible that at this point of life, young men can build a reserve Learn to discipline yourself to abstain from or to make fast from other interests. Maybe legitimate interest as well. Sports, tech, cars and such like. You can fill in the gaps. Um, learn to take fast from those uh, so that you can build, work on building the inner man and also really so that you can figure out what your focus really should be. These other interests, again, I say, are not wrong or sinful, but they may be indulgences. Indulgences can hinder us from being the best we should be. And they can hinder our walk with Christ and be taxing to us spiritually. Then again, emotionally, how can we, how can we um, nourish and cherish our wives Emotionally, and I believe this fits in very much with the spiritual. Fathers that aren't in a strong walk with Christ find it hard to be there and be the strength and support they need to be with their wives, to their wives and, and, and families and, and also others relying on them if their spiritual walk hasn't been where it should be. As a natural law, our input needs to equal or surpass our output. And fathers, leaders, take time to invest with God. This is a place I've failed when so many times. And uh, find the place where you can relate with God. Take the time you need with God. Be, pre be prepared to meet with God and, and His people with a heart of humility and brokenness.
And I'll put a plug in for Real Rival meetings coming up this week. It's a great time to meet with God and with his people and to take in input so that you're prepared to give output. So what about the wives? You want this in the King James or the New King James or the NIV? Um, see that she reverence her husband in the King James. In the New King James, the wife must respect her husband. So the point I want to make here is there are no qualifiers in this passage. It's clear that going into marriage and in marriage, the husband is to love his wife with the sacrificial love that Christ has for the church. And it's clear that going into marriage and in marriage, the wife is to respect her husband with the kind of love Christ expects of the church for himself, a full loyalty and a loving obedience. And so there aren't any qualifiers. It doesn't say if he does his part, if he loves me like Christ loves the church, then I will be completely loyal to him and will reverence him or will respect him. On the other side, it doesn't say if she respects me and reverences me, then I will love her as Christ loved the church. In fact, Christ loved a church that was very unloving and tends to be fairly disloyal, I'm afraid, sometimes. There aren't qualifiers here, and the marriage won't exemplify Christ as long as we're trying to qualify what our spouse is supposed to be doing before we do our part. We're supposed to do these parts, give these parts. That's an expected that Christ asks of us. But, you know, when we do our parts, it makes it so natural for our spouse to do their part. For our husband to do his part, for our wife to do her part. And we do ourselves a service and we adorn the gospel of Christ when we do that. And that's what we're about, aren't we? About building the kingdom through our marriages. Well, a few pointers here to wrap up. Three practical ways to, to grow the love and the respect. Unselfishness. Husbands giving themselves to the Lord and his body first and first of all, and then treating their wives as co-inheritors of the grace of Christ. Husbands willing to temper their ambitions and their desires and effort to meet the needs of their family, their wife, their wife and their family. And you can fill in the blanks here. I can't, you know, there's so much more here. There's messages could be made out of each of these points. Wives giving themselves fully to the Christ, the body of Christ and, and her husband, making herself, making the choice to, to come under the leadership of her husband, willing to identify and be respectful, be a respectful companion to her husband, to seek to make his leadership a success in every way possible, to seek to enhance and fulfill out and adorn her husband's leadership in a way that it will adorn the gospel of Christ. And there's trust. A husband's love and, and a wife's respect are both largely grounded and facilitated by trust. Trust that they have each other's good in mind. 
As a teenage boy, I recall seeing a, uh, a witness, a young married man, play a public joke on his wife in such a way that it, it obviously humiliated her, made her embarrassed. And I just recall having that impression that perhaps a bit of trust had just evaporated in that marriage, um, in that relationship. Thankfully today that, that, a marriage, that marriage appears very alive and very well, uh, so trust can be regained. It wasn't like it was a terrible thing he had done, it was just, just uh, less than desirable. Regretfully, though, eyes of husband have breached trust as well. And thanks to redemptive grace and loving respect, I can humbly say that our marriage is alive and well, and I praise the Lord for that. Trust is built in so many ways, from practice loyalty to thoughtfulness in, in our decisions, maybe as simple as making purchases. In the end, though, ultimately, it's, it's the basis of it is knowing that your companion has your best interest in mind at all times. If this is the foundation of understanding, you know, if, it, if this foundation of understanding that your companion always has your best interest in mind, if that becomes breached, uh, your relationship will become sandy very quickly. So we need to really work on trust, on loyalty, on, um, you know, keeping the best interest of our companion in mind all the time. And then there's communication. This is such a beautiful word, such a beautiful thing that God has given us as human beings. I enjoy watching animals. I enjoy watching our sheep. I enjoy watching our dogs. And in some ways they communicate. Um, our sheep there, you know, they bad and they, they make, they have a certain amount of communication, level of communication, but there it stops. Even when it seems like they're laying all down together and they're chewing their cuds, it seems like there's some sort of communication going on. But, but it's not very deep. You can tell that. And sheep are not very deep, incidentally, by the way. Um, but we're made in the likeness of God. We can communicate deeply. And that's so beautiful. I remember our days of courtship, and I've witnessed our friends' days of courtship. Um, and, you know, you get this little peek into that, and you see they're communicating. We were communicating. Hours of talking. Some talk deeper than others. But it was communicating. Two lives being melded, being brought together. Will this work? And then uh, it will work, you know, and then moving ahead, all these different things and communication need to, need, needing to be done from a deep level, sometimes not even knowing quite how to express those thoughts, but just taking time and, and working with each other and, and understanding each other, dreams for the future. Communication is needed and it's our gift. Keep on communicating and sharing deeply and humbly. Make the conversation about your wife your husband, and, and keep it going. Keep it going with your wife and husband. Communicate the compliments. And this is one that I really want to stress this morning. 
Husbands, compliments are a great way, a beautiful way to nurture your and cherish your wife. <clears throat> Be genuine with those compliments. You like her dress, let her know. You appreciate the way she kindly worked with the difficult neighbor's child, tell her about it, encourage her. Um, truth is, criticism is accepted so much uh, more readily if appreciation is a constant stream. I'm not talking about some effervescent sort of, you know, bubbly, uh, complimentary, ta-da-ta-da. I'm talking about real communication where you see something you appreciate about your spouse, you let her or him know. <clears throat> and husbands, I think we should lead the way here. I remember a, a couple, <clears throat> a man in our church. You know, my parents, um, I love my parents, and they, they love me. And I don't think they would mind me saying this about them, but they, they, didn't, they didn't tend to communicate uh, too much about each other in compliments and in um, sentiment. They came from a, an Amish background where there was this thought that if... There is too much, um, if there is too much, uh, you know, compliment given, it would make the other person proud. I can remember coming in on the scene one time and a friend was visiting. I know I need to hurry. A friend was visiting. I walked in and I heard this friend started talking to me and saying, what a handsome son they have. And right away, my dad cut him off and, and uh, let him know that that would go to his head which it might have. But that was kind of, you know, their way. And, um, and I do believe there is, I, I'm, I'm truly concerned about uh, not creating a, the idea in our children that they're somehow exceptional and that somehow they're, uh, you know, uh, above and beyond uh, others. Uh, really, you know, when we stop and think about it, our goal as parents is to bring our children up in such a way that they can they can work in with the church, with the body. And so we don't want to create a, an exceptionalism um, concept in their minds. But I think that our children can take some compliments. But I want to go further than this. I remember a couple there in, in, the, in the man in our church. And he said, made this statement. He said, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like Isaac. Isaac and I have, are, have something in common. And everyone was kind of quiet. And he said, God's blessed me with a beautiful woman, with a beautiful wife. Like, you know, it's said about Rebecca, she was beautiful. He said that there in front of the church, and I was like, wow. Well, you know, um, we, we can communicate those things to our wives. Uh, and we can do it in a way. It's interesting, my parents are much more communicative in that respect today than they were when I was a, a young man. And that's beautiful to see. Let's communicate those compliments. One more thing. Let's, let's make sure we communicate to God together as couples. When the way gets hard, and it will, we need to communicate together to God. When the way is easy, and there will be some of those times too, Lord willing, for, for us all, 
uh, that's a great time to work on communicating together to God. It'll make this hard times, when we enter into this hard times, it'll make it much more natural just to, to move on in and, and uh, together to God and uh, look to him as, as a husband-wife unit. So husbands, love and respect your head, Christ Jesus, his body, the church, and nurture and cherish your wife and wives. Respect deeply your God-given leader. And in working together in this way, you'll fulfill Christ's calling of being part of his body, the church, and you will adorn the gospel of Christ. God bless you.